All right, the gardener, the garden, and Jesus, the vine. Uh, we're starting a new series as we look at our culture, Gaten culture. What is our culture here? And over the next four weeks, we're going to look at how do we cultivate a Christ-centered culture. Um, how does that start with us as individuals, and then we come together as a family and live out some of these things. Um, but I know for a lot of you, or some of you, you like to garden. How many of you like to garden? How many of you don't like to garden? How many of you have never gardened in your whole life? All right, well, this might be applicable then. Um, in my house, if you come to my house, you're going to find on the TV a, U a YouTube show um, called Garden Answers. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but this, this wonderful uh, lady shares all of her gardening tips and tools. And uh, what I realized is I know nothing about gardening when I listen to her. I sit down and watch. I'm like, man, there is a lot that goes into this. I don't know any of the names. I don't know any of the tools. And I don't know any of the processes that allow to have these amazing gardens that uh, this, this woman is able to plant and take care of and cultivate and grow. But the principle that when I'm watching, I'm always thinking, man, she really has a good grasp on this. And she, she's, she's knowledgeable in cultivating what it takes to cultivate. And cultivate just means being purposeful, having a plan, having a focus, cultivating the garden, cultivating a culture. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to talk about how do we cultivate a healthy, Christ-centered culture? How do we have a place where when you come here, you sense the love of Christ, you sense his truth, and that we have a culture that glorifies God in all that we do here at Gaten? As I was thinking about this, I thought about the challenge it would be if all of us, every one of us in this room, was given the task of making sure our families had a healthy culture. And not just your immediate family, but all of your family, like your in-laws and everybody. How easy would it be to have a very healthy culture in your family? What would you do? Some of you might say, I already have a pretty healthy culture. I don't think I would have to do too much. Some of you say, I don't even think that's going to work ever, ever, ever. But wherever you are, we all have our unique approaches to this question. We all have a unique um, advantage point or, or uh, view of how we would do this. Some of you uh, here this morning might relate to someone who's more of a nurturer. And you'd say, if I'm going to try to make a healthy family culture, I am going to make sure everyone in the family feels valued. I'm going to make sure everyone feels encouraged. And you're going to have this nurturing approach to the culture of your family. Uh, if you're a creative person, maybe you're thinking, uh, we need to do new things as a family. We need to go on new trips. We need to have new experiences. Uh, what would make us a healthy culture is if we tried new things. Maybe you're more of a protector or guardian, and, and you're thinking, man, if I was responsible to establish a healthy culture in my family, I'd make sure we were very disciplined. We had a very organized chart. Everyone knew what they were responsible for, and everyone did what they were responsible for, and that would help make a healthy culture in our family. Maybe you're like me, you're more of a social connector, and you're thinking, if we get to know other families and we connect with other people, maybe some of the good things they're doing will rub off on us, and that will be a healthy way um, to build a healthy culture for our family. Maybe you're more of a, a forward thinker, you're a pioneer, you're always thinking about down the road, and you're thinking, if we could just implement some things today, we would see how that would uh, make us healthy in five years from now, Right? And so wherever you're coming from, wherever you're coming from, you're going to have a different point of view and a different focus. So the question becomes, as a church, as us gathering together, what is our focus? I believe that is a very challenging thing. What is our focus? 
If you were with us in January, you heard uh, from me and others this concept of Vision 2025. That over the next five years, what do we want to be true about Gaten? How do we want to live into this? And we talked about gathering large, that we want to have these moments where we gather large so we can worship together. And we want to connect small so we can build interpersonal relationships. We can have face-on-face conversations and we can build into that. And so we have this context, we have this view. Now, how do we cultivate it? How do we make it part of who we are? And how do we do it on a regular basis? Because I know that you know this because I see it all the time in my own life. Things don't clean themselves, right? Things don't get better. If you don't clean your room, if you don't do the dishes, um, you know, you don't walk away and they clean themselves. There has to be an intentionality to producing a healthy culture. And so this morning, the question um, that I want us to live into is, is how do we have a healthy culture? How do we cultivate that here at Gaten? And I think there's two challenges. First challenge is focus. Whose focus do we take? Do we take the nurturer? Do we take the guardian, the pioneer's voice and say, that's the one we're going to listen to? And then I think the other part of the challenge when you're trying to cultivate a healthy culture, cultivate a Christ-centered culture, is how do you do with, deal with the, the whirlwind of life? The whirlwind of life. I was reading a book this past week And it said that 70% of our energy and time is committed to the whirlwind of life, meaning tests, uh, job tasks, paying bills, dealing with problems, um, the things that you may not necessarily want to be doing, but you have to do. And they're always there. They're always in your face. They're always asking for your attention. And these would be the whirlwind of life. How can you have an intentional culture, both personally and in a group like this, in a family like this, if so much of our time and energy is committed to the whirlwind of life? And that can be very difficult, right? It can be very difficult to set aside energy and focus to cultivating a healthy culture. But I think one of the advantages we have is right now we're focusing together, right? And we're going to focus in on God's word. Over the next four weeks, we're going to look at the book of John, uh, chapters 15 through 17. And he, I believe, Jesus, is going to lay out for us so we have a clear focus what a healthy gate and culture should look like. And in that, then then we have to have to live it out, right? We have to not just know the truth, but do the truth. And so that's the goal. That's where we're going. And so the question before we go into God's word is, what kind of culture does Jesus want us to have? That's what I'm asking the text to reveal to us. That's what I'm praying that God would speak to all of our spirits and give us clarity to how we can do this, how we can have a culture that Jesus wants for us. And so before we go to his word, let us precede it with prayer. Father God. Thank you for allowing us to come to you right now. Thank you for seeking us out and loving us where we're at. Thank you for grace. Lord, I thank you that we can sing these songs and recognize you're moving even when we don't see it, that you're working even when we don't recognize it. Lord, I thank you that we can use our gifts that you've given us to serve you. I thank you that you've called us to be on mission. And Lord, as we go and look at these words that you inspired John, your closest disciple, to write for us today, Lord, we want to understand what it means to have a healthy culture centered on you. Lord, we want in our personal lives and then in this family life, 
to live into this culture, to live in this truth, and that we would be known by this. Lord, I pray that you would speak new truths into our minds, that you would motivate our spirits. Lord, that we would recognize your patience and your love for us, but also recognize the calling to move forward, the calling to action. And Lord, I pray as we, as we navigate through this that we wouldn't be distracted. If there are things within us that are pulling us down or pulling us away, that we would cast those off and intentionally focus on you now. And Lord, I pray that you would speak clearly to us. Um, help us as we prepare for your return, as we prepare to live with you eternally, um, to understand these things in the present. Lord, I, I thank you for how you work. Work now in our hearts, in Jesus' name, amen. This morning, we're going to be looking at John chapter 15, starting in verse 5. To give you some context before we begin into that, those verses, um, John is one of the 12 disciples. He's considered the closest of the 12. Uh, this is the disciple that Jesus loved. Um, John did a very good job of laying out the ministry and life of Jesus for us. And one of the unique things, if you are reading through the Bible or you open the Bible to the book of John, you're going to see he has a theme. And one of his themes is he is connecting Jesus to God by this statement, the I am statement. Uh, in the Old Testament, when Moses said, uh, what shall I tell Pharaoh your name is or who should I say you are? Uh, God said, I am that I am. And here John is using that connection point to connect Jesus with God and his, uh, Jesus as in his deity. And he has the seven I am statements. And he's leading his disciples. Uh, Jesus is teaching his disciples how their culture should be, what they should be like. And these I am statements are leading them on a path of information, leading them to a place where they can live out practically what Jesus has for them. And so uh, this is the place in the story. Jesus has done all of his earthly ministry. He's preparing to go to the cross. He's meeting with his disciples, and he's preparing them for the fact that he must go to the cross, he must die, and then he will return for a short time, and then he will leave them. And he will leave them with an amazing mission, an amazing task. And that is to share this good news with the entire world, establish churches that will be in existence uh, to share this good news throughout the time between then and his return. And so that's where we pick up is this is one of the seven I am statements. This is the I am the vine statement that Jesus makes to connect himself to deity and connect himself to life. And so we begin in verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. At the beginning of the verse, Jesus makes this powerful statement. He says, I am the vine. In a vineyard, the vine is, the, is like the vein. As the vein to the body sends the blood throughout the body, the vine is where the nutrients, it's where the energy, it's where um, the life comes from. And Jesus is saying, I am the vine, I am the source of life, I am the source that you are to look to, and you are the branches. And so um, through him comes life, through him comes purpose. And he says, for this to work, for you to produce fruit, because you're connected to the vine and you're a branch of the vine, for this to work, you must remain in him, and he must remain in you. And so the question we must ask is, how can we remain in him? How can you and I remain in the vine? How can I stay connected to the vine? When I was growing up, when I was growing up, 
I grew up in church. My dad was a pastor. And as I was growing up, I was trying to understand church. I was trying to understand the Bible. I was trying to understand this concept of God and Jesus. And in my understanding, because of basically what I was being taught, I felt this is what I understood. I understood that God was perfect, he was good, and he wanted me to do good. And if I did enough good, when I died, I got to go to this beautiful heavenly place. And so that was the context of what I understood. That was where I, my, my viewpoint was coming from. And so in my, my approach was if I, if I tell the truth and if I come to church and if I say the right things and, and if my good things outweigh my bad things, then when it's all said and done and my life is over, God will invite me into his heaven and, and I'll be good. And as I've gotten older... And I've invested and I've, and I've listened to teachers and I've, and I've studied these things. I've recognized that I had a misunderstanding. I had a false view of what Jesus came to share and what Jesus came to establish through his church and his mission. You see, I had a view that this was a contract with God. That somehow I was in a contract with God. Like when you buy a car or a house, you go into a contract. And in the contract, it would read, if I do this, this, and this, then I'll get that. But what I've recognized as I, as I read this verse, that he is the vine and I am the branches, and, and as he establishes that all of my good works are as filthy, filthy rags, that Jesus says that no one is righteous, no, not one, that I recognize that I don't have a contract with God, but that what he desires is not a contract, but a relationship. And if I see God as only this contract, if I see church as a place to take a mark off on a contract, then I am not abiding in relationship with God through Christ. I am not living in relationship. I am not in him and he is not in me. I'm just in a contract. And what Jesus is saying here is that this is a, um, I speak to you through my words and you speak to me through prayer and we build this ongoing relationship and, and it's not just Sunday, it's not just Monday, it's not just Tuesday, but every day of your life I can uh, be with him and he can be with me and I can speak to him and he can speak to me and it is the same as all relationships that we have that uh, the more I pursue it, the greater health it becomes and that he is saying here that uh, he established the relationship because there was a contract for you. You were lost in your sin, but the contract was between Jesus and God, and Jesus paid for the contract on the cross so that I could have relationship with God. And so when you receive Christ, when you come to this moment and say, I know it's by grace, and when I use that word grace, it's as a gift, a gift I don't deserve, a gift I shouldn't get, but a gift that God gives me anyway. When I receive that gift... I now can have relationship, and I can know God every day, and he knows me, and the more I live, the more I get to know him, and the more he lives within me, then it says fruit is produced. Fruit is produced. And so the second question becomes, what is this fruit that is produced in this relationship between me and God? We're told in Galatians 5.22 what that fruit produces in us. It produces love. I have new love when I commit to knowing Christ and I'm walking with him. All of a sudden, I have a love for the Father. I have a love for God. And then he gives me a love for people. Jesus said radical stuff. Jesus said stuff like, love your enemies. Love those who, who do things that are not just to you. 
He said, they will know you are my disciples. They will know you're my followers because you have love for one another. That he, the fruit that is produced in this relationship is love for God and love for other people. We find that the joy that is produced is a joy that I understand God's love and I can share that joy with the people around me. I understand that there's a peace that is established, a peace that I now have with God that I can have with other people. That there is this idea that God is walking with me through my valleys. And maybe this morning you're in a valley. Maybe you're going through tough stuff. Maybe you have financial issues, relationship issues. You have school issues. You have work issues. You have something that's burdening you right now. And God is saying, um, if you are, are, are in me and I am in you and we have this relationship, I am with there in that struggle with you. And I love you desperately. And throughout your life, I will be there with you and I will walk with you. And then he calls us then to do that with the people around us and, and to walk alongside each other and, and understand that there will be seasons of challenge, there will be seasons of pain, there will be seasons of hurt, and we are called to love each other and to walk with each other through those seasons because of this fruit that is being formed within me. That I'm gentle, understanding God is gentle with me. He's, he's patient with me. I should be patient with the people around me. Uh, that there's goodness, that he does great things. He's a good God. And he calls me, um, my life verse talks about that I would do good deeds so other people would see them and glorify my father. That they would see the reason I'm doing good things um, is not because I'm marking off a, a list of things I need to do, but that the fruit of what is living and growing in me, God gave it to me so I can give it to other people. God gives it to you so you can give it to other people. And that you have faith. That even in the midst of the storm, you know God is good and he will provide and he will take care of you. And so, John is recording for us how we can cultivate, be intentional. How do we build that into this church? How do I build this into my personal life? How do I build this into my private life? How do I cultivate this kind of life where I am, I am remaining in him and he is remaining in me? That there is this relationship that's ongoing every day. Jesus is, is doubling down on this, this point because he goes from there to say, apart from me, you can do nothing. He's saying, basically, this relationship is so vital to you. This relationship is what I've come to establish on the cross. This is the relation I've come to establish with all people, that without this relationship, there's nothing else out there. There's nothing else that can bring hope. There's nothing else of eternal value. There's nothing else. I think it's interesting that as you go through John 15, he says, I am the true vine in the very first verse, and he, he equates himself to it as a vine, but he doesn't say there aren't any other vines, right? I can tell you, I have been entangled in the vine of happiness. I have been entangled in the vine of pride. I have been entangled in the vine of self-seeking, self-interested life. That I believed that I could produce my own life and I was entangled in a vine that it was choking life out. And I think partially it's life experience that sometimes shows you that there is no path that leads to life except through Christ. Because you've gone down some paths and you found out that they didn't lead anywhere. But I believe the question that resounds to me, the question we need to ask is, do we really believe this? Do we really believe that apart from him, we can do nothing? As a church, as individuals, do we really believe that statement that Jesus is making here? 
Verse 6 says, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. I think it's interesting that, that he's saying basically um, that this relationship is the most important thing that you can have in life. I believe we were all created for two things. Two things. One, to glorify God with our lives through worship. We gather large. Two, through our love for each other, we glorify God. I believe the only, like every single one of us in this room, whatever story you have, wherever you're coming from, wherever you're going, you exist for two purposes. One, to glorify God through worship, and one, to glorify God through how you treat the people around you. Those are the two purposes of life. And you can only live those purposes out if you're connected to the vine. In this, in this picture of a vineyard, we're told that the father is the gardener and he's going around and he's pruning and he's, he's intentional. And, and, and in it, he is, um, he's taking inventory. He's taking inventory and saying, uh, what needs to be pruned? Where do we need more soil? Where do we need more light? Where do we need more water? Um, the father is watching and he's, he's interacting with the vine and he's interacting with, with us. And I think that's a good thing. I think it's a good thing even for a church like us to do on a regular basis. One of the things I'll be talking about every week as we lead to the end of this month, March 29th, um, we have prayed about this. We have talked about this in, in our staff and in our leadership that we need to take a time to consider, are we all focusing on gathering large to connect small? Are we all focusing on being disciples who make disciples of all generations? Is everything that we're doing in our church Christ-centered? Is everything we're doing in our church living into that vision as we move forward together? And so we've come up with this, just like Jesus came up with the vine and the branches, we come, came up with the idea of a reboot. For many of us, we know when your phone starts messing up, right? Your computer has issues. There's a lot of programs that are open that haven't been used and they're draining the battery. Um, there are things that don't need to be used anymore. Or there's things you need to add or you just want to have a clear start. That you, what do you do? You turn off the device and you turn it back on. Right? And sometimes that gives new energy, um, it gives new focus, it gives clarity. I believe as gardeners, every year when you come to this time of year, you begin to look out on your garden and say, all right, where do I need to go and, and put down weed killer or whatever you use? That there's an intentionality, an intentionality that we as a church should take, uh, maybe it's yearly or on a regular basis, where we stop and we say, are we living into this vision? Are we living into what God has given us? Are we Christ-centered and following Christ and he is the, in charge and he is the leader? And so at the end of this month, we're calling it Reboot Sunday as we, we ask the Lord to prune and we also ask the Lord to invigorate, inspire. We know that it's through him that energy is brought and so we ask that to happen. He continue on in verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. I think this is one of those verses, if it's taken out of context, can be used in a, in a very negative way. It can be used in, in a way um, to kind of say God is a genie and whatever you ask him, he's going to give it to you. And I know a lot of people have prayed really hard and they didn't necessarily get the thing they were praying for. 
And I think that the truth, if we really want to understand what Jesus is saying here, he, he gives a preface. He, he gives um, a point of reference. He says, if you're in me and I'm in you, then whatever you ask for, I will give. I found in my life this to be true when I say, God, give me wisdom. Give me help. Help me to understand. Give me discernment. Um, give me peace. Give me hope. One of the things I think is so powerful to do is to write your prayer request down. Keep track of what you've asked God for. I can tell you in all the areas that I do that and I can go back and I can see that God fulfilled this very thing. That he answered that prayer. That he did live into this promise. And so we want to cultivate a faith that believes that God can do amazing things. That he has no limits. And finally, as we conclude this beautiful place of scripture. The reason for this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. We exist to glorify God and to worship and love. And we do that practically here. We worship God by gathering large. That's why we've come up with that, that phrase. We want to gather large because we believe we exist to gather large to worship God. We exist for his worship. We exist for his glory. And we connect small in relationship and we build into that relationship and we grow with each other. Finally, it says showing yourselves to be what? My disciples. Showing yourselves to be my disciples. We want to be disciples who make disciples of all generations. Be disciples who make disciples of all generations. For what? For the glory of God. Our goal is to cultivate a Christ-centered culture. A Christ-centered culture that when you come here, you see fruit. You see love. You see joy. You see peace. You sense patience. You hear about long-suffering people walking with each other in life. You hear overcoming of things because of God's grace and his peace and his glory. That's the culture we want to cultivate. That is the culture we want to invest into. But that culture is a culture we have to focus our hearts every day on. When you wake up tomorrow, when you wake up Tuesday, do you sense God's calling to glorify him? Do you sense his calling to love the people in your life for his glory? Every day of the week, it's not a contract, it's a relationship. It's a relationship that is cultivated every day with investing intentionally in it. It's interesting that there's only really two mandates that Jesus gives. He says, look, if you're my family, if you're my body, I want you to do two things. I want you to remember the cross, so have a time of communion. And I want you to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you to the very end of the age. He's saying, I want you to remember what I've done by grace that you can be here and you have an eternal future and, and, and you can connect to me and I am the vine and you are the branches. And in that, you have a new life, a new life that we can grow together. And so at this moment, we prepare our hearts. We prepare our hearts to go to that place that Jesus told us he wanted us to do when we gathered the place of communion. And so for a moment, I would just ask that you would quiet your heart, 
that you would focus both your mind and your soul on the Lord. And ask him, God, help me to understand. Help me to see clearly. What are you saying to me today? Let us take a moment as we prepare our hearts and as we prepare for communion.